That boy ain't right. Hey everybody and welcome to the Bricked Pit, the show you didn't know you didn't need. I'm your host today, Jason, and with me is Josh, senior lecturer at the School for Applied Sarcasm. I'll uh, I'll be doing my North American tour. The dates will be posted on the website. And joining us is Adam, head researcher at the Institute of Filthy Words. Yeah, you're going to have to bleep out the next 36 seconds. And not because you're saying anything wrong to <laughs> <laughs> nobody Just wants to hear it. All right. Today, uh, we're going to talk about animated films, more specifically. Animated films that aren't made for children, but are actually made for adult audiences. That children watch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because in America, or, even when the movies are made for adults, they don't want to watch animation. Yeah. Well, what was that that Seth Rogen movie that was like... Oh, Sausage Party? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's tons of stories of... Of parents go, oh my god, it's like lady, it's rated R. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd it's listen called, to our it's episode on sausage lady. party. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. a single entendre, not a double entendre. <laughs> so yeah, when we, we talk about that, there's a lot of uh, interesting people and everything we need to talk about. I think first, as far as at least American animation in this area, is uh Ralph Bakshi, who started off doing just regular uh animation with Terry Tunes in the 50s. The late 60s and early 70s, he wanted to actually create animation for adults and kind of paved the way for that in America uh, with his adaptation of Fritz the Cat, the first animated feature to receive an X rating. For I mean, uh, good reason. I, but, I mean, I guess now it would be it wouldn't even be a hard R. No, but but yeah. it's 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 unless you're a furry, it's disturbing. our crumb stuff generally is (laughs) yes i don't know where this falls on the sort of the timeline of things but looney tunes was originally aimed strictly for adults right i mean they it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't made for kids well yeah animation when it first started it was kind of a shotgun blast like they were they were trying to get everybody so yeah you did have a lot of the adult humor in there that was kind of hidden Right. Older ones, some of them were more explicit, like the Betty Boop character and stuff like sure. that. Yeah. And, you know, as we talked about in a previous episode, when the Hayes Code came in, right. everything kind of had to change. And when the Hayes Code went away and they adopted the new MPAA rating system, that kind of opened the door and allowed people like Bakshi to, to do what he was doing with Fritz to, the Cat and heavy traffic and all that. To coin a phrase, meat was back on the menu, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Because there's a lot of flesh in the well, <laughs> cartoons. I think, I think the early Looney Tunes, the ones that they showed as as shorts before feature films in the theaters, I think they were early. I think there were two categories. I'm just having done no research. My memory of this is that they were like just like they do for uh, previews now, or you know, this preview has been approved for this audience. If you're in a rated R movie, the the preview you see may also be a little more than it would be if you were watching on TV or something. I think the Looney Tunes that originally showed on what would be considered adult movies back then had a little more in them but then whenever they switched them over to saturday morning cartoons what they did is they just chopped the heck out of it yeah and cut, well, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. cut all the good, yeah, good stuff out of it <laughs> what what i'm getting out of this adam is that we uh have made a gross uh oversight and in not including 
the Looney Tunes in our conversation because well, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh my god, I was trying to think. Well, you know, like I said, Looney adult, Tunes adult. was was trying to be for everyone, and actually, Looney Tunes, uh, the precursor to that was Merry Melodies. Merry Melodies. And the reason they started doing that stuff was to actually sell music that Warner Brothers had rights to. So they were trying to sell <laughs> albums and sheet music. That's why they're Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies. I didn't know that. Yes, now that's that's part. Of, and even well, tell me about Ralph Bashy because I don't yeah, like him. Because because somebody <laughs> got us way off topic on Sorry. that. Sorry, that's all right. But like I said, uh, Bashy, like I said, he he got Fritz the Cat, which was the first X rated uh, animated film, and was actually very popular even with the X rating. Uh, I think that probably Forbidden Fruit, you know, but, yeah, that was effect. that was part of it. And also, you had uh, you know places like the the New York Times and all that kind of stuff actually giving it very good reviews. And he followed that up with Heavy Traffic, which was another X-rated animated film. And it also was very commercially successful. And so he was actually the first animator uh, since Disney to have two hit back-to-back feature-length animated films. He goes on and does things. He kind of moves out a little bit of his his main wheelhouse is kind of like urban New York and all that kind of stuff. It does fantasy with wizards. And he actually does the first feature adaptation of Lord of the Rings. All of which I hate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really, 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 really do not like Ralph Bashy's style. It has nothing to do with with the content. Was is it American Pop? Yeah, it was that, it, that, that he did later. That like just the animation style just a lot of it has, on me. A lot of it has to do with when he was doing Wizards, which was at Fox. He tried to get more money for the big ending battle scene and they wouldn't give it to him he actually was in the same meeting that george lucas asked for more money for star wars <laughs> uh, what Bakshi did was he wound up getting a bunch of stock footage and everything of tanks and just rotoscoping it right, right. And, very and I- on the cheap and then he continued using that later on and it, lord of the rings it's really really terrible because all they did was really trace over right well i mean i mean i will give him credit in in the in the rotoscoping aspect of it that that was that he really pushed that to the forefront and and refined that and some of that to me is less egregious than his just full-on animation like i don't don't like the style of fritz the cat as far as lord of the rings went it's just it's such a weird adaptation because it's like it's like somebody had read the cliff notes to them and they wrote the script and in the in the design based on that because the design is just really Really bizarre. Well, yeah. yeah, a lot of it had to do with the fact that uh, he was supposed to make three movies, and they told him, "Well, we're only going to pay for two. As they were releasing the first one, he was like, "They were like, well, we're not doing a second one." <laughs> so, I wish it, they would have said that about the Hobbit movies. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so just, just yeah. let's just kill this while it's while we got. Oh. While we still <laughs> I think, I think I, they filmed all three of those at once. Unfortunately, right? That was the still. We're just going to go over it. Yeah, it, there's a lot of bad stuff. Like I said, I don't like his over-dependence on rotoscoping at the time. I understand it. It was cheaper. Uh, unlike Disney, he wasn't taking four years to make these films. He was doing like a film a year. Right. He's the, Ro- he's, they- the, he's the Roger Corman of animation. Yeah, yeah pretty much. So but rotoscoping like said, is where they take the they take real live, like you said, live. They take still frames of the, the photographs and and trace over it. Now rotoscoping is not new. The the Fleischers yeah. actually invented it in the twenties. And if you watch the old uh, Superman cartoons that they did, but, you will see right. rotoscoping. But at that time, they were using it as a guide, whereas Bakshi was just straight up Tracing. just copying it. Yeah. yeah. And 
and wasn't, you know, uh, exaggerating anything to, to make it look animated. It was just traced. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I knew, yeah. I knew the technology. I just, yeah. I wanted to remind myself what it was. There may be some people out there in, in uh, don't know what it is, in radio right? land who don't know. So let's, uh, let's include uh, them in the conversation. <laughs> Hello friend. Do you know what animation is? It's drawings. <laughs> I, that came out like way more condescending than I had started. I doubt it. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. <laughs> that I believe. Uh, <laughs> like I said, Bakshi did this stuff real quick, real cheap. Uh, his animators actually kind of hated him for the fact that he wouldn't do pencil tests. And so pencil tests are when they draw each individual frame of it to make sure that the the motion is right. The timing is correct on the, the motion. It looks natural. He wouldn't do that because it would cost money because you would have to film that, develop that film, and then look at it just to make sure that everything's timed right. And he just skipped that entire process. But like I said, he, he was very important in kind of bringing the concept of films being okay for adults and only for adults to the American audiences. Uh, he was also real big on uh, hiring minority animators, people of color, women. Uh, the first African-American female animator was hired by Bakshi. You know, he's, he's very important in that. He just, he hired anyone who had talent. Those are the good things about him. Like I said, I, there's a lot of trouble I have with him, some of his, uh, his well, choices. His, later on. his subject matter does not age very well <laughs> no if you yeah it is one of those things especially if you watch it now you might not understand why it was so controversial back then but it, it most certainly was <laughs> I, I, I think it's i think it's out there enough that like if if you just pulled joe six pack off the street he'd yeah. say man that's worse than the rick and morty <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm just, just I'm just kicking people off tonight. That's my. <laughs> there there is one Bakshi uh, story that I think really kind of uh, encapsulate who he is. In the late '80s, he had a pitch meeting with CBS Television. They wanted him to come in and pitch some new shows, so he went in there and he he told them everything they had, and they turned everything down. And they looked at him and says, "Well, do you have anything else?" And he sat there for a second. And he goes, "Well, I." Uh, Owned the rights to Mighty Mouse. And they were like, oh, we'll, we'll do a Mighty Mouse show. Yeah, yeah. Well, so they greenlit a pilot. Uh, he left the meeting, got on a payphone, and called his office and said, find out who owns the rights to Mighty Mouse right now. <laughs> Turns out CBS owned it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so he sold them their own TV show. Like I said, it's, uh, he's very Roger Corman-esque. Yes. He's like he's like somewhere in between Lloyd Kaufman and Roger Corman of animation. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely give you that. He's, he's, he's in that uh, subdivision. Cheap and schlocky. <laughs> that's, that's a street <laughs> intersection he's on. <laughs> I don't know so much Slocky. Uh, like I said, he's he's gotten very good critical reviews, especially on Pets the Cat and uh, Heavy Traffic. Now he he does tend to lean into uh, okay cheap offensive and, stereotypes, cheap but, and exploitive. Yeah, I, I'll give you exploitive. Oh yeah, but, his 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 um his stereotypes are yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's just say there, that. there could be books written. <laughs> They probably are, but who yeah. does research on this show? <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, like, one of the biggest ones that is his film Coonskin, which he wanted to kind of do like a modern take on the Okarima stuff, but it was all done. That's when he hired 
mostly African-American animators to work on it because he actually wanted to put racism and everything at the forefront. That was the center of the, the storyline. So pretty much he's a he's a big stepping stone to, to modern adult animation. Even his Lord of the Rings, like Peter Jackson, did crib a lot of stuff from that. Certainly. There, there, there are some... Um, the opening narration. Yeah. There, there, there are some similarities. There are some similarities <laughs> between the two. He, he certainly was uh, was influenced by it. Like I said, there are a few things in his Lord of the Ring adaptation that are that are pretty good. There are many things that are pretty terrible, though. Yeah. I would say I would say it's more terrible than good. But the good yeah. stuff ended up in the live Man. action movie. Yeah, I, I will say this. <laughs> Because we're of an age where before there was the movie, it was all you had, and it was it was better than nothing, right? <laughs> I, I preferred nothing. Like did you? <laughs> I, I like like I, I think it was the Rankin and Bass that did yeah. the uh, they did the Hobbit. the Hobbit, yeah, and Those, then Return but, of the King, yeah, but but all their versions of Hobbits were just like like horrifying monsters to me. I still wake up <laughs> screaming at night. They were the animated version of the the little people in the Dark Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, that's, funny. that's funny. Very much. They, it's like that's that's not what I read in the book. They, you said they look like children. These look like like elephant men children. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I was. I don't remember what age I was, but my dad read. My dad read the Lord of the Rings to me the first time I heard it. We were at the library one Saturday, and I saw the Lord of the Rings cartoon on VHS at the library. Check out! I was so excited. <laughs> And my dad's like, no, nah, you, you don't want to watch that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, no, I, I do. I really want to get it. And then we went home and then he watched it with me. And then after we're done, I, I was all excited about it. But I still he said, that's like, what you get for not yeah, listening well, to your father. Yeah, I remember. I think, no, I, I was like, I really like that movie. And I would go and I could just see the disappointment in his eyes that I liked that. <laughs> That's that's when he went out for cigarettes and never came never back. Came back. That was the beginning of the end. <laughs> he said he was going to return the videotape, and he never came back. I failed as a father. <laughs> Maybe the next one will. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So it's it's strange that like like it's become a pretty. It's never been really super mainstream to have adult animation. In America. In America. Well, yeah. The French do like their adult animation. What do you mean and it's not super mainstream? I completely disagree with the premise of that. Okay. From since, like, we're, we're deaf. I mean, Look, it depends on how you define the terms, but I mean, I, I'm talking about terms. film filming okay. now. Yeah. Like the adult cartoons are, but that's like, that's a pretty recent. Sure. And we're in the yeah, fourth wave of 30 that. years. Yeah. The third wave was really right around the turn of the millennium with like King of the Hill and the critic and Futurama and PG. We're and not, things. we're not talking about rock music. We're talking about fourth wave. <laughs> <laughs> that's real. Cause it really Post-industrial is industrial because- new wave adult animation. <laughs> 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 with Norwegian afro <laughs> <laughs> okay so feature length adult animation i agree that's harder to sell and a lot of the things that i guess you and jason are going to talk about as far as movies go i agree like it it's hard to get mainstream american audiences even day, today to sit in a, a a full length movie that has you know all the nuance and undertones of a real adult film yeah, right, they'll, they'll watch they'll watch cartoons as far as like MCU movies, which right. are live action Pixar. cartoons. Yeah, yeah. or yeah. Pixar. Or Pixar. You have child childless adults go see Pixar movies all the time. And for all of our childish adults out there that listen, that's not a bad thing. We're not judging. <laughs> you. <laughs> 
right. No, I mean that's I mean, one of the big things that like there was a big explosion after this uh, past Academy Awards because the animators are already angry because before this year the people who voted on like animated short subject and animated feature film were actual animators, and so they they changed that and they put it to the the Academy at large. And so they're angry on that. Says, well, all you're going to get are Disney and Pixar movies if you do that. And lo and behold. Yeah. And then at this this past uh, award ceremony, you know, people like the presenters kept talking about, well, oh, you know, the, the last time I saw a cartoon, you know, was, my kid was in the room. Right. And so they're, they're real pissed off about that. It's like, OK, you guys keep pushing forward this concept of animation is for children and you're supposed to be representing all of cinema in the best light and you're not doing that you're you're cutting the legs out from beneath us to be able to actually produce quality adult animation or just quality animation period that's a fair assessment agree now uh, everyone go out and watch uh the minions rise of Gru. <laughs> this segment brought to you by dreamworks pictures <laughs> <laughs> As if we could get any kind of uh, sponsors. Well, you know, what's interesting about this is that one of the movies that I was going to talk about, uh, The Ghost in the Shell, rewatching that and then and then kind of looking through what the critic the critical response at the time that it came out was. I was I was pleasantly surprised to find out that Ebert really liked it. and he in the part that matters for what we're talking about right now is he said, you know, this is not an animated movie for children in any in any shape or fashion. It's full of nudity and violence and stylized, you know, all this stuff. But he said, but basically he goes on to say that it's a complex film because it, because of the how deep it is and the the issues that it tackles and the way it's presented the music noir whatever it's a good filmmaker's film yes and like so you know it, it's not that these things don't or have never had critical approval is but there's there is this stigmatization in the industry about it like you said well i think, I think with the public at large though too yeah yeah, I, yeah but in, I think in america oneself in america right. and it, you know it, it's probably telling that a lot of the things we're talking about come from the, from the asian market you know so well, when i was looking just kind of getting some more background to fill in here uh there's actually a, a wikipedia article uh, adult animation and it's like broken down by country and all that kind of stuff and like canada gets like three paragraphs or something like that <laughs> u.s gets one then you get to japan <laughs> and this In is the beginning the of the country exactly. <laughs> this isn't even like the dedicated article for right. japanese animation this is just a little subset and it's, it's like eight paragraphs long <laughs> back in the goku dynasty yes <laughs> the original that's... japanese animators were painting on rocks in the <laughs> caves of mount fuji they, they would throw rocks really and people would blink their eyes really fast and they pass. <laughs> there's shadow puppets was... <laughs> well if you want to get down to the it's kabuki plato's <laughs> allegory of the caves really talking about animation <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if you've seen it, but there there is like the theory put out there, like some of the early cave paintings, like the the ones in France and all. Oh that yeah, that. yeah, that the 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 flickering of the light caused of them a, to yes, to, to look like they're moving. moving. Yeah, so I mean that that's very interesting. That didn't happen. Josh I was I was there. Josh doesn't. I like believe fan that. Theories. <laughs> <laughs> that's just some trumped up <laughs> clickbait <Shut> article. <laughs> it's trying to reevaluate a painting of an antelope. <laughs> Thousand years later, uh, all history is clickbait. That's <laughs> all of human history. It's all fake. Nothing. Nothing happened before 1970. Everything. <laughs> what Andrew Jackson looks like now might surprise you. <laughs> 
It's like a corpse with like lipstick on it. It's like a skeleton. <laughs> I think he's had work done. The Japanese are like really serious about their animation and make some very quality animation they have for years. I definitely have to say the cream of the crop is Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki. Yeah, I don't think anybody would contest that. And, and what I love about Ghibli is that like you have the stuff like Ponyo that's definitely geared toward you know younger kids and stuff like that. And then you also have like Princess Mononoke where they're went around decapitating people and you know <laughs> like my neighbor Totoro premiered at the same time as Grave of Fireflies. <laughs> Yeah, it's like two totally different films. Like, you know, and even my neighbor Totoro is a, is a pretty masterful and emotional piece of work. It uh, is. But, you know, yeah, Grave of Fireflies, when the first line is the guy telling you the date that he dies and you see him, like, this is the first five minutes of the film. You realize that the two main characters are already dead, they're ghosts, and now they're watching all the bad decisions that led up to them dying of starvation after the firebombing of Japan. <laughs> I, I much prefer uh, my neighbor John Turturro. That was really great. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really great uh, animation. When he knocked on the door and said, "You, you stole my anime." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a deep cut, man. <laughs> <laughs> John, you know we love you. Come on, we always we're always ribbing you, buddy. Come on the show, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I do want to say if any. One out there has the uh, HBO Max. They have hubs on there, so you can look at like the different areas. Studio Ghibli has its own hub. Adam, these are this is a different kind of hub than the one you're used to looking at on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> it's an animation hub. It's <laughs> no, no, they've got they've got that on there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure some of those come from Japan. <laughs> That's that's how that's when we go blue. <laughs> we da- we dance around it like our mom's in the room. <laughs> Podcast like your mom's listening, <laughs> even though nobody, including your mom, listens. We've already kind of touched on this. Thanks, Adam, for jumping in. No, yeah, uh, there has been in the past. 30 years or so, the, the growing of adult animation, but it's been on TV. Yeah. And it's pretty much been mostly comedies. You know, The Simpsons really was kind of the, the starting point of that. It wasn't the first, but it's it's the one that really stuck. In. It's the touchstone. I mean, yeah, it's a- it, it became a pop culture phenomenon. Because remember the what, Simpsons what? album? Well, you couldn't go anywhere without it, some doing the Bart Man or wearing it, wearing to eat my shorts. Yep. T-shirt or don't have a cow. Yeah. I remember, we talked about this in our Fox episode, but like that when that parents were like, "Oh my God, that yeah. boy said eat my shorts," and now we have like South Park, where, yeah. like, <laughs> where we we wish the children would speak like that. Bart is <laughs> Bart is so well mannered compared to Kenny. <laughs> when I was saying that before, is I think that like Simpsons. Also, you know, it's I guess it's interesting to think about, but it really was Fox and that kind of drove the way for for this with the Simpsons and others, but yeah, well, yeah, their animation block. Like, I, I don't think if you, the, that Sunday animation block yep. built the foundation for you to have adult swim and for you to have, yep. and then that from that you get your Rick and Morty and family yep. guy, you know, there is a progression to that. And, and it's, it's the bedrock of adult animation on television is the Simpsons, even though yep. it sucks now. <laughs> Sorry, Harry Shear. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's the only one I'll apologize to. Yeah, he, he's, <laughs> he's wiping his eyes with stacks of hundred dollar yes. bills, going, "Oh, it just breaks my heart." It's- <laughs> <laughs> I feel so betrayed. <laughs> you said such good things about a mighty wind, and this is how you treat me. <laughs> The Simpsons, you know, it's it's almost like Genesis in the Bible. The Simpsons begat the critic, which begat Family Guy, which begat you know. King of the Hill, and yeah, and, and yeah. they all did something different. King of the Hill was yeah. definitely more uh, of a sitcom that was animated. I think, and, it, you know, and it was more dryly satirical. Yes, like yes. it wasn't like The Simpsons is is a much more obvious. Like Homer is an obvious caricature. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, we talked about the flanderization of characters, but I mean, right. versus like like Hank and Peggy, like they straddle that line of like, well, they, are, are they making fun of them or not? <laughs> well, I think that I think the thing about King of the Hill is the way I always looked at it is the difference between it and other forms of the show of it. Essentially, they could exist in real life as they are. Right. Whereas I think there's. Others, they're not. Well, I mean, like, you know, Family yeah. Guy's off the rails, you know, insane. Yeah. And, and Simpsons even pushes it to where, you know, they, they don't look they don't look human. If you look at Simpsons, yeah. you know what I mean? They're, I know that but they're very meta. And, right. But I think Josh had, had pointed out one time it's not on the pod has just regular conversation. The, the South Park episode, you know, they're making fun of Family Guy and, and Cartman and Kyle go to Hollywood and they start fighting each other. And they're just like tumbling and they, they roll through. Uh, like all the different offices and everything. And, you know, everything's chaotic and all that kind of stuff. And then they roll through like the King of the Hill writer's room. Everybody's just sitting down at their desk (laughs) writing. Yeah. Just doing the work. Just doing (laughs) the work. And and that's, that's that's very much how the King of the Hill comes across. It's just a very well put together. And I will say this. And since it's brought up like the, um, the um, South Park is hugely influential as well. Like it, yes. it, it, it became the next boundary pusher. And I think it's starting to lose its steam. That episode, like I used to love Family Guy until that episode of South Park. It ruined Family Guy for me. <laughs> and I think that that's, a, that's amazing because that's, that's what I, that's what I, want to do to other people is like the ruin <laughs> thing said point something out and say you know that gilmore girls is bad and was, oh. <laughs> but that they're satire they, they i mean they were just i mean they were so on point with with what family guy was and, and basically how lazy the writing is that i was like yeah i don't like family guy anymore <laughs> Manatees with beach balls. Because <laughs> you can't get that out of your head. <laughs> no, you you know, think that's bad. Like, <laughs> and also, there, there's some septing shows between The Simpsons and Family Guy and King of the Hill. One of them was on MTV and it was Liquid Television. Yeah. Liquid Television was awesome. It was just animated shorts and it, not just animation. They did puppetry and they had some live action stuff, but it was this really off the wall stuff. And that's Aeon Flux. and Yeah. Aeon Flux. And that's where Mike Judge really kind of got very recognized with his uh, frog baseball, which is the beginning of Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a really, but it's, it's strange. It, it was kind of all over the place, but, but I think you could really trace a path to where to you know starting with Fox and then you're right it, I think MTV and Liquid Television was like was the next boundary pusher then it kind of went back to Fox and then it went over to Cartoon Network and then now it's kind of back to Fox it's ever <clears throat> I mean, FX you know with yeah it, and- right now like streaming like they're 
they're picking yeah. up a lot of, of animation for the streaming networks and not just comedies. Uh, Netflix has been trying to get some like anime style action. You know, they did the, the Castlevania series written by mm-hmm. uh, comic book scribe Warren Ellis. That was very popular. They they also put out <clears throat> like Sturgill Simpson, uh, the, who is sound a, and fury. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a country and Western guy. Uh, and he's, he's, he's like a true outlaw because like, he did this album and they're like, man, you're like the second coming of, of Merle Haggard. And he's like, okay. So his next album he did like that had more like a Motown feel to it. Like, like I'm not doing what you tell me to. His next album was like just kind of avant-garde rock and roll. Yeah. And he had an, and like each song was animated. It, it was like a different anime and they released it on Netflix just out of the blue. And it's, it's out there. And like, and I could just laugh watching it. Cause I'm saying there's somebody that's like, Oh, we're going to listen to the, the latter day Merle Hag, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Sturgill Simpson too because I think one of the years he was outside like the the Country Music Awards. Yeah, busking. Just, yeah, just busking with his his acoustic guitar. The the anime is the Sound and Fury is it's worth watching. It's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's definitely you have to go into the mind of it. That this is just some experimental. It, it, I would say it's the equivalent of like Pink Floyd's The Wall, you know, not quite yeah, as well done, it, but it, it is definitely less, in less the same of a vein. yeah, less of a like narrative thread running through, but definitely it's 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 pushing music and animation as art, and again pushing the boundaries, and definitely definitely not for kids, and not just because this the you know there's a lot of blood and gore and there's lots of six string samurais in it but it's uh it's elevated you know whether you like it or not like the 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 artistic intent is at a higher level than it's apparent uh, yes compared to a lot of stuff that comes out yeah and like i said your streaming's got stuff i don't know if either of you've watched bojack horseman i've seen a few Uh, i've seen i'm aware of it yeah. <laughs> it, it is a thing that exists. Yeah. I, I can vouch for that. I will see that that is real. <laughs> well, I, I really like Bojack Horseman because it's funny. It's it's a goofy funny. They do stuff like someone stole the the D at the end of the Hollywood sign. So in the first season, so ever since then, everything is called Hollywood. Even the TV shows renamed Hollywood Tonight. And so I love the fact that they stick with those those jokes and everything. Uh, does Ric Flair show up and go, Hollywood? If he doesn't, I'm not watching it. Uh, then you're not watching it. But it's also good because <laughs> it also, like it's one of the, it's, it really took, I think it, one of the things that did well was that it was unique in the way it handled more serious, like the drama yes. side of it. And that's what I was going to point out. It, it also like, it's, it's a gut punch at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it, it really gets into people, you know, the mental issues, right? The fact that, you know, the, the way Hollywood does everything, you can't just say, well, I'm going to be a better person and that's it. You actually have to make an effort. You have to work on being a better person and just saying you want to be a better person is not good enough. Yeah. Well, Netflix also has like big mouth as another, yeah. which is, which is comedy, but it also, there's. It's looking back and, and laughing at the horrors of puberty from the other side, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it, it it's even though it's got like teenagers in it, it's it's very adult show because of the perspective that it's coming from. Yeah, and, and like I said, I, th- I think that is something that we're definitely getting more of on television and streaming, but we're not getting that quite as much on uh, the big screen. You know, Pixar I think does a very good job of crafting a lot of their movies with a lot of good emotional elements and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, was inside out. 
you know, actually deals with the emotional aspect of growing up. Right. But dealing with, with sad thoughts and all that, like you can't just push them all away. And it's still very much oriented towards younger. I feel like Pixar is starting to age itself up maybe with its, because of its audience. Cause like, um, like, like was it going red was much more of a preteen kind of, uh, even like, uh, was it Luca? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. so, so some of like their stuff is like hell. Even even Lightyear is yeah. Lightyear is definitely not for like kids now. It's it's for the kids that watch Toy Story, right? So I, I feel like they're. I mean, they're they're kind of their whole business model is to is is kind of like narratives Age are aging up. up. There, yeah. yeah, so maybe maybe we'll get some adult Pixar films. Uh, they're owned by Disney. I don't know. Maybe we need a Punisher, Daredevil, Pixar directed <laughs> by of, Rise of the Rise Ralph of the Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's in their own nude world. And <laughs> <laughs> speaking of nude world, <laughs> now let's go to uh, hear a word from our sponsors. <laughs> nude world. It's like Westworld with less clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the hub you were talking about? How is, that even, <laughs> how is that even possible to have less clothes than Westworld? West <laughs> hey, everybody. Let me tell you about audible.com. You can sign up at audibletrial.com forward slash brick pit will give you a free credit two credits if you're already a member of prime uh, the audible co- catalog's got podcasts audiobooks guided wellness audible originals listen all you want there'll be a friendly email reminder to let you know when the trial is expiring all right welcome back everybody once again still talking about Animation for adults. So, Adam, do you uh, yep. please give us an example of one you enjoyed? Yeah. So, in continuing with the theme of, you know, like Josh mentioned that I guess South Park ruined Family Guy for him. I one ruined the, Guy Ritchie films for you. You ruined all films for me. <laughs> there doesn't need to be a qualifier. It's just except for uh, Dream a Little Dream, which is <laughs> already ruined. It ruined itself. There was no. <laughs> this movie um, is rancid. <laughs> I assume that you guys are probably the same way, but there was when there was this rise of these good these shows, which I considered good. I guess early two thousands, like two thousand, two thousand, whenever Adult Swim really came into its own as a real thing. Basically, all you had before that was King of the Hill and The Simpsons that were good, and of course the critic, but it was short lived. And then I kind of life happened, and I kind of stopped watching that kind of TV. When it really came back around for me was when Archer came out, which has been a long time ago now, but it doesn't feel that long ago. Archer changed the game for me as far as adult animation goes and the way that I hear, you know, in the same way that early uh, Adult Swim did for, I think, a lot of people who caught that wave. I I, I would agree with that. And I think Jason and I were on that that Adult Swim wave. Well, you know, the precursor to that was, of course, Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Right. Which which fed into that whole thing because Mike Laszlo, who's the president of Cartoon Network, they realized that they had a lot of adults actually watching Cartoon Network. So they decided to program for them. And then this explosion of off-the-wall, nonsensical... Yeah, just you know, a lot of times avant-garde animation well, and comedy. And it was funny is the demographic, you know. So there's this. I don't even know how to like describe it properly. Like Aqua Teen Hunger Force, it is not the kind of show that someone who is a generation older than me 
you would think would like, but I know tons of people a generation older than me who that was the show that brought them that that won them over surprisingly and that we can share that in common right aqua teen was just there was nothing else like it it's <laughs> like, no. just well that, like, that whole that whole block of, of that yeah, space ghost that the brack show yeah. and uh and like c lab 2021 yeah. were all just insane and off the wall is the they're the kind of humor that like if you if if you like it you're going to love it if you don't like it it's it's going to be like throwing acid in your face there's well, there's no lukewarm reaction to it 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 also was a little bit of whitening in a bottle and i don't think you could i don't think we're ever going to be i don't think you could replicate that moment in time again no. because the way they marketed it was essentially not to market it at all right like adult swim just happened yeah and if you were just watching TV, you're like, what? What is the, what is going on? And it wasn't all the time. Ever at first at the beginning, it was like two days a week or something. It wasn't mm-hmm. even every night. It was just Sunday night. Yeah, that's right. You're right. It was <laughs> just Sunday night. And it, and you're just having to have the TV on, and you're like, what? And then it was word of mouth, like people you worked with are like, did you catch this weird? You know, it was. Yeah, that. it was the kind of thing that you went in on Monday and say, yeah, I saw the craziest thing. <laughs> And people are like, that did right. And people are like, dude, that didn't happen. And you're like, no, that's I'm I'm telling you the plot exactly. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> the moon men were flipping them off. Right. And, and you're like, they're like, what? And then they watch it and they're like, he wasn't lying. That's exactly and what it, happened. And Another was, brilliant aspect of it is the, the episodes are only like eleven minutes long. Super yes. short. Yeah. And if you missed it, you missed there was no streaming. There was no, no. like like it it literally I remember when this first happened. <laughs> like you, it was true water, like water cooler TV for let's be honest, dudes between 20 and between 18 and 35, right? I was like, <laughs> like that was yeah. if you were in the dorm or if you were at the office or wherever you happen to be in your life at that time and you caught this, you would, you were talking about it. It was just it's so something that strange. you would have a conversation with your yeah. dealer with. <laughs> My dad owns a dealership. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and what's funny is I mean those shows are like twenty years old, and I can yeah. still yeah. quote them verbatim. Like, like I said, like an eleven minute episode, like two minutes out of an eleven minute episode from twenty years ago, and it still makes me laugh. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, I remember watching. I caught the the second episode of Aqua Teen. Like, it's the one where Shake had like the shake signal. <laughs> you know the the spotlight on his head, and you know it goes off, and you hear a knock at the door. And it's Carl, the neighbor. And this is when I realized Carl was probably the greatest character ever created (laughs) in American entertainment. But he's standing there and he has an extension cord in his hand. He's like, I found this plugged into my house over there. And I look over and see your house growing like the freaking sun. And I put two and two together and decided you're pissing me off. (laughs) It's like, this is the greatest character ever. Aqua Teen. (laughs) So speaking of of Archer, Aqua Teen was my first introduction to H. John Benjamin. As yeah. the as the as the moth monster man. moth monster man yeah and and the rever- that reverse vampire bit still yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it, it it's one of those things like some of the stuff just shouldn't be funny but it is and like I said it's yeah. lightning in a bottle it's it's the voice acting it's yeah. the it's the kind of kind of flash animation yeah. it's like like everything yeah. just and Schneider's together. delivery of the yes. of master shakes lines are just that's what sells that character so and what also is they had nothing to lose yeah like they were doing it like 
you know, they would do like batches of four episodes of pop and they were like, this is it after the, there's no way that this is good. We'll be allowed to continue to do this. And so they would keep just pushing it, but they, they could be funny without. Right. Fear, well, in that, you know? yeah. Well, well in the, in that they kind of had a lot in common with early Saturday night live that they did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great. Uh, like, like that, like you can, they were, it was dangerous stuff to put yeah. on TV. Sure. That, also, um, they, they helped revive a lot of shows too. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, home movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Home movies yeah. found a second life. Um, and, and God almighty, that's an amazing show. Uh, Lauren Burchard, when he was talking about when he was pitching Bob's Burgers to Fox, we were thinking about it. So I made them cannibals in the show <laughs> because at Cartoon Network, that's what you had to have for adults, right? You had to have something real crazy in there to get it. And he said, you know, the greatest thing was like the, the vice president of Fox was like, yeah, we really like Lauren, but uh, do you really want to make cannibal jokes for five seasons? <laughs> the answer should have been yes. I remember yeah. when the, the movie came out, I got the DVD of the movie. I watched it and then I went over a few days later to Josh's and, and we were watching it. And, <laughs> and Josh just, just in the middle of it goes, if the ghost, uh, the robot ghost of Christmas or Thanksgiving, you know, uh, future isn't involved in this, then I'm not watching it. And then it popped up on the screen. He was like, yeah. <laughs> That's like, the, uh, there's a really, really bad meatloaf film called Roadie where he's, <laughs> where he's a roadie. That's it. But it's, it's. I highly recommend it because it's like, I think like Debbie Harry and the talking heads yes, get into it, like a pie fight. It's bizarre. It's but, like a fever dream. Yeah. <laughs> it's where, where you're lis- listening to your new wave collection as you fall asleep. Uh, so, so we watched the whole movie and it's ending and like, and, and meatloaf the roadies driving. And I was like, the only thing that could make this movie crazier is if he gets kidnapped by aliens and I swear to God, the last shot of the film, the big light drops down on him and he gets kidnapped by alien so sometimes i have an insight i'm like i'm like the, i'm like uh Haley joel osmond for bad films <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i have one more, one more thing to say about dane s snyder which is master shake i know he's in all kinds of stuff but he he stole your backpack once <laughs> he stole my backpack pushed me down in the street <laughs> it said, don't get master shake's name out of your mouth <laughs> i think he's on some kind of disney teen live action show Dude, Dan just got to eat too. Yeah, I know, but no, here's so I'm in the kitchen making a sandwich and I hear Master Shake on the TV and my daughter's in the other room and I come run. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's not for kids. And then I'm looking around the corner and it's like, it's it's a live action thing with him. And I don't remember what the show was. And I was like, what is, what are you watching? <laughs> oh, this is, this has been, oh, gosh, five or six years ago yeah. now because she was little. But yeah, that was, anyway, that was, that's my, my, my panic as a parent like this is not for you <laughs> not all cartoons are for kids but anyway that wasn't that wasn't what i want to talk about i want to talk about archer which was i know that josh hates archer and so he can explain why he doesn't bother to watch good television anymore but it's <laughs> I told, I, i'm not explaining I'm, i don't hate archer i'm not explaining it again I, hate, I, I live with people h john benjamin is what i know i love h john i've listened to his jazz daredevil out both of them <laughs> <laughs> Several times, I'm a big fan of H. John Benjamin has a van. I think that was one of the, the funniest <laughs> shows ever made. Coach McGurk is my spirit <laughs> animal. <laughs> Don't be like him, Josh. It's soccer. I, I I coached my kid's soccer team when she was real little, and I was like, I finally made it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living the dream. I am Coach McGurk. Did you get the tattoo of the 
the banana lady? <laughs> I did. Did she really like bananas? <laughs> <laughs> I tried to trade swords for a six pack at the Winn Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was in Arch Archer. I was in Bye Bye Greasy. <laughs> I respect uh, John Benjamin too much to watch Archer. It's what a good show. That's a great show. Uh, I'm sure first it few is. seasons. It's it's kind of one. I mean, yeah, down, it has ups and downs for sure. But you know, when we did a, a social media post where we asked folks what what's one of their shows that they can just return to and watch over and over again, Archer is that for me. It just it tickles me every time I watch it. There's something funny in it that gets me going. So to Jason's point about like recurring, like BoJack Horseman has this recurring bit that builds over the time. Archer in in a lot of ways, if you approach Archer like mid third season or whatever. Uh, a fifth of the jokes you're not going to get at all because they're all sort of inside jokes from other seasons. They're constantly just building that momentum on that joke. And as you know, because we've done it hundreds of times on this podcast, there, there to me is no higher form of comedy than the beating a dead horse. <laughs> that is my favorite. That is 100% my favorite kind of joke. <laughs> That's why I like that- British comedy so much. That is. Yeah. British comedy is no. full of dead horses to beat. <laughs> <laughs> no, that I mean, there's a lot of stuff like I, I've had friends and I like use Archer quotes yeah. in real life, like phrasing. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> all the time using phrasing. <laughs> I, I understand that reference because I'm on the internet. <laughs> See, I'm like Ultron, man. I don't have to like absorb everything i absorb enough to know that humanity doesn't deserve to live <laughs> through the internet <laughs> and then he does snarky joss whedon dial that's why ultron didn't deserve to live <laughs> that was the worst thing that was the worst use of josh whedon di- dialogue is, no, in, it's, is it's ultron the worst use of james spader yes it was it was a tragedy you have you have that that voice and that mannerism, you're like, you're going to put that, make him sound like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's like, how dare you, sir? That is Robert Hollywood. That is. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to Arch, though, uh, they are very, very clever. Yes. And at the same time, can be very goofy. Yes. And juvenile. Like, you, you run the cabinet. To me, it reminds me of, like, it really has the same feel as what we do in the shadows. I mean, they're completely different genres or whatever, but the style of humor well, it's got that very, uh, like you said, I guess, British in a way. It can be satirical. It can be you're in on the joke with them kind of humor. Yeah. It's just all over the place. But yeah, it's the the running gags of like where he, you know, anytime, like in the early seasons, like anytime anyone fired a gun, Randy would get shot. <laughs> no matter where he was in the building, always made me laugh every yeah. time. <laughs> and then Archer's constant hearing loss from all the gunfire. Everyone who voices on that show is is a legend. You couldn't get this the the rhythm that they have. The writers are all in sync. Another running gag is Ray's getting second place, winning a silver medal in the Olympics. But basically, like our our podcast, which is a, a second place podcast. So second place. Are there only two people in in the race? <laughs> We're we're getting the participation trophy. That's, like, that's the only award we get. This is T ball. We I'll, we get the I'll certificate that we printed offline. All, off <laughs> that online. we made ourselves <laughs> in MS Paint. It's like it's like it's printing up an old dot matrix printer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. You should mention that because that's the other thing that cracks me up. Is it? You know, it's the spook, it's the spy agency that has both modernity and also 1960s technology, <laughs> and so they have like you know dot matrix printers and ancient computers and all the early James Bond stuff. I will say the thing that 
really got me for Archer. And it, 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 at this point, it's almost a nostalgia thing. I had given up on Family Guy. I had by this point, it came out. I'd long since stopped watching that. I, I didn't even watch South Park anymore. And then I, from the very first episode of this, it just grabbed me because of its balance of it, it, like it has the realism of King of the Hill, but also the absurdity of like good Family Guy back before it was terrible. That's it. That's my whole pitch. And so you should watch it, Josh, so that you can commiserate. Mm. No. <laughs> if Under we, the Vonnegut uh, umbrella now. No. Uh, we're going right, to take, take a road trip, and I'm going to make you watch it in the back seat on the. All right. Car. So, so I noticed that we we have been talking a lot about animation, obviously, but ha ha. Um, and there is, and I think that's another really neglected aspect. I mean, yeah. Studio Gabaldi, I think it is less. Ha ha, but I think one of the, the best uses of animation, I say recent, but damn, this movie is probably 20 years old now or more, is uh, a scanner darkly, mm-hmm. which yes. used which used a kind of a, it was kind of a combo rotoscope like CGI, a digital rotoscope, yeah. Basically, it's like they could film the whole thing now on an iPhone with a uh, with a filter now, mm-hmm. but at the time it was pretty revolutionary, but it was the it's the absolute best most true adaptation of a philip k dick story on film yeah period philip k dick has had he's there's been some great movies inspired by his work hollywood loves his work they don't love his work as it is, <laughs> as, as it as is. is. Yeah. they they like they like to be inspired by his work yes. and not but a scanner darkly which is a which is a complex novel it really is and it deals it 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 gets to the heart of Philip K. Dick's like whole thesis. Like, so Philip K. Dick is, is a, is an exercise. If you, if you read from his early short stories through the end of his life, you can see the thread, the, the thematic thread of, of what is, what does it mean to be human? Yeah. But like, you can also see like where the drugs come in <laughs> and then, and I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. Yeah. And also, I, yeah, right. I've, I've, I've gotten a guy working my office to start reading Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. And I told him the thing you need to know, most about Philip K. Dick is that he did a lot of drugs. Well, but more than and that, the second the, thing you need to know about Philip K. Dick is he did a lot of drugs. <laughs> so the the, the drugs yeah. brought brought forth latent psychosis because yeah. he was he became very paranoid. He like Vallis, all that, and he started self inserting himself into stuff like the Man in the High Castle and um, Ubik, like where like Philip K. Dick is a character. It's because like he was really having a hard time separating the work fiction from reality. And like he really did think that angels came to him and that the that the USSR was shooting pink lasers into his brain. But even throughout all that, there, there's this quest for what is real and what is human. And, and it gets it gets more garbled as it goes along. But a scanner darkly falls right into the point where his drug use had gotten to the point where he had lost his family. And th- this is like him, the, the writer, you know, and, and so it's very self-reflective it also lost a lot of friends to drugs. yeah and, and 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 somebody that who has personally lost a lot of people to drugs and alcohol it's a very somber story and it's very sci-fi but it's also something that would be very difficult to film outside of animation so like the animation worked and very I, much in its favor yeah unlike with uh Bakshi's use in like lord of the rings that we talked about where it just it didn't work it works sp- perfectly 
for the themes of this film because the big question is what is reality like perception and all that kind of stuff and this animation really does that because one of the concepts is in it you know uh, Keanu Reeves stars mm -hmm. and he's a cop and he's talked to people into in order to guard his identity because he's an un undercover there's essentially like this mask that he puts on that randomly changes the faces on top of it so that no one knows who he is and that's something that this animation style really puts forth I think yeah, it, it enhances this rotoscoping enhances the story more than yeah. It's it's yeah. it's fantastic film. Isn't Robert Downey Jr. is in it and yeah yeah yeah. There's there's, there's ton a star-studded cast. Yeah. It's bleak. And, um, it, and the only reason it didn't do well, I would say, I mean, it did well for people like us, but it didn't have that broad appeal because it was animated. It's yeah. a fantastic. It's a great film. Turned off a lot of people because they couldn't get past the whatever. Yeah. But. Well, it's the same thing. Like it's like when uh, the Coen brothers did uh, the man who wasn't there and they filmed it black and white. I think that turned a lot of people off because why are you it in, in four? It, it, well, it, it, the Hobbit had the same thing when they, they changed the shutter speed, the yeah, frames per second yeah. for that freaked people freaked out. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of people confused with what looks real with what our perceptions are that is real. Which is yeah. a very Philip K. Philip Dick. Dick. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's what I was about to say. Very Philip K. Dick. But, you know, everyone said, well, the that 60 frames per second or whatever they were using for The Hobbit, it, it didn't look real. It's like, no, it, that the problem is it actually looks more real. Mm -hmm. You're used to your films looking like film. Film, right. You know, so the, the more real it looks... The more fake the it fakes looks. it looks <laughs> yes, right. in your own mind. Like, it's, 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 like it's, watching, a bizarre, it's a bizarre kind of yeah. inverse property that the more real something looks, the faker it looks. Yes, <laughs> because, exactly. Because it is fake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not really a dwarf. It's a dude in makeup. <laughs> i've always thought of philip k dick as like a like a greek philosopher who expressed his ideas through science fiction because he he just and also discovered lsd he's one of my favorite authors and like i think he was very he was very philosophical like i mean i i put him up there with with a lot of the, the kind of silver and golden age sci-fi writers like like yeah, highland and stuff because like highland i think was very philosophic too like he would explore and he was really misinterpreted because he would he would entertain an idea and that didn't mean he agreed with it but right. people would say like hey that that sounds fascist he's like yeah because i'm exploring what what a fascist society like this would look like you're a fascist like no the <laughs> the book is it's not right. an endorsement like what's wrong with you <laughs> it's, like that, it's like that meme of you know the sci-fi writer writes a story about an invention it's called the absolutely never invent this invention. And it says flash forward 25 years. Scientists invent the never invent this invention. <laughs> Crediting author. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's not what I wanted at all. <laughs> I think that was on Adult Swim. Was it? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Ghost in a Shell also explores this idea of mm -hmm. what is it? What is yeah. What is it to be human, right? It's, well, that's that's a very cyberpunk thing too. Right. Like, like a very, very animated. Blade Runner, you know, which very, isn't animated, yeah. but there is a Blade Runner animated. Yeah, somewhere. Well, there's there it. it's it's pretty much it's it. There should be more film that explores that because it, it's, transhumanism was not was a flight of fancy 15, 20 years ago. Now you got you know Elon Musk saying, "I'll put a chip in your brain. You're gonna love it." It's like, oh, hey. <laughs> That's I'm not asking permission. <laughs> it's already there. He turned into uh, Alex Jones. Yeah, it sounded more like an Alex Jones <laughs> impersonation than an Elon Musk. But yeah, put it in your brain. I want to drop one down because I think this. Is, I'll pick it up, man. Yeah, 
<laughs> I, I think you're going to because I think you'll agree with me. Like this is the one that really kind of changed American audiences' perception. Really kind of blew open the doors for anime in the U.S. Uh, and that's Akira. Akira. That's ninety percent of the dialogue in that movie. That's that's Josh's. Uh, <laughs> that's how I remember dub. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the secret alternate tracks on the DVDs. Just me going Akira for two hours. <laughs> Tetsuo! (laughs) (laughs) And this is, uh, I think it's on Hulu right now, if you guys want to watch it. By the time they get around to listening to this, it won't be on Hulu. (laughs) It's the year year 2099. Hulu's the last holdout in the streaming wars. (laughs) Akira has been wiped out. That's our new anime. No, I saw this probably when I was like 13. We had had Japanese animation before, but it's stuff like, you know, Speed Racer and Battle for the Planets. Robotech. Uh, Robotech, which, which the, that's a, terribly watered want, down by the time we get I, Yeah, I don't even want to get into the Robotech discussion. Like Good, we're, we're not. Nerds, we're aware of it. We're not talking <laughs> about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's that patented Adam Snort. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with, I mean, seriously, with nerds, though, you've got to, like... <laughs> Because like like nerds are like like dogs like beg, waiting to get a treat out of your hand. You're like, dude, I get it. Like you're gonna get the treat. We know. We know. Don't at me at Josh. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> we know all about this stuff. You don't have to tell us. We're legit. Just, okay. Just just send us a private message on Facebook. We'll give you his address and everything for you to die. Yes, you. That's right. Actually, <laughs> actually Funimation. Took- <laughs> Took the Macross series. Yeah, I'm sorry, listeners, but that's how some of y'all said. <laughs> said the pot to the kettle. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I'm just a mirror, you know? Call me Lou Reed. I'll be your mirror, man. <laughs> but at least Akira was the one that really kind of blew open the doors for anime films because like, no one had seen anything like it. And it's it's a beautifully made film. Mm-hmm. For the 80s and you know it's it's cyberpunk a lot of movies have cribbed from it and like one of the things is the the akira slide the image of the motorcycle like sliding to a stop in front of the camera moving away from the camera that's been copied again and again in both animation and live action it's also like very gory and mm-hmm. it's something that i didn't expect because i had never seen that in animation the the level of violence that they presented was yeah i mean it's 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 still very violent to this day which is saying something and also it had very deep themes of japanese sentiment post-american conquest yeah you know like like which was which is I mean, obviously, it's it's pretty pervasive in in uh, Japanese cinema, but it's there's there's this whole kind of like Godzilla and Akira and stuff are, are like almost direct manifestations of that cultural scarring or anxiety. That's the level we're talking about, man. This ain't Scooby Doo, son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it brings in a lot of you know, it's it's a dystopian future. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which at this point we could gov- just call it the future. It's contemporary. It's contemporary. But yeah, I mean, it's you know people rioting in the street. Damn, that is depressing. It isn't. Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's what, I wasn't. I wasn't making a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I I, I'm just. I'm just now catching up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now I'm sad. Thank you. 
there's also like this aspect like people are starting essentially a cult that forms around Akira. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows who the hell he is, but that's just how bad things are. You know, somebody's coming out here promising this this godlike being is coming back. He's going to make everything better. And does yeah. he? <laughs> <laughs> no, he gets on a boat and leaves, man. <laughs> but, it's been a long, long time since I've seen Akira, but it, I agree with you that it really opened the door for like a very specific demographic of people. <laughs> Most of them are listeners of this show as well, but if, it, if you went into a video store after that movie came out, a lot of them would have their own section now for anime. Uh, unfortunately, they usually would do something like, you know, uh, their own little hand printed sign, you know, Japanimation. Mm -hmm. That was very popular yeah. <laughs> in video stores. Yeah, that's not insulting at all. <laughs> yeah. But I think it, it opened up a bunch of other Japanese mm -hmm. animation to, to come into America and to, to really be looked at and considered by American audiences, you know, at the same time, you know, uh, it, it didn't do it by itself, but it's, it's the biggest one because, you know, uh, my neighbor Chitora, as we were talking about in Grave of Fireflies and all that were coming out around the same time. But I think Akira is the one that really hit like the teenage demographic that I think really carried it on until, you know, like Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that started mm -hmm. coming out in the late nineties. Spirited Away, none of the other stuff that is is what I would consider mainstream for for civilians would have it would have I think had the exposure that it had if the gates. You say civilians? <laughs> you yeah, ain't but, in the nerd army, man. Yeah. You, you, you a muggle? You one of them, one of them non magic people? You're yeah, a non commissioned officer <laughs> in the nerd army. If you're listening to this, you're, you're a non-commissioned officer. You're an, an NCO in the in the nerd army. I'll give you a, I'll give you a point of order here. I guarantee that every person who listens to this watches it in Japanese with the subtitles. Nobody's watching dubbed anime. Because I am. That's, I because am that's too. Witches. Well, then you're wrong. You're going to get a lot no, of shit on here, that. Here's the thing. Not, here, no, here's here's the thing about it. Here's, I'm not a weed. Yeah. <laughs> One, I, I don't I don't speak Japanese, so yeah. listening to it, I understand the argument for it, and I get it. Like watching Yojimbo and stuff like that. The performance of the original actor that's that's a big thing there. But at the same time, if I don't understand Japanese, so I just can't just listen to it in the original Japanese and enjoy it. If I have to read the subtitles, which I'll do, you know, Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, Sanjiro, mm -hmm. all that. The problem with that is I'm concentrating on reading the words instead right. of looking at the entire frame. You're not which, looking at the art. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not looking at the whole composition and everything, which is, you know, like how Akurosawa and whoever directed it made it. You know, there's an entire screen up there with stuff happening that you need to, to pay attention to take in to help you know move you through this film and if you're reading the whole time and we also we also came from the uh spaghetti western school so like right where the actors weren't even saying their lines right. half the time because they're going <laughs> to dub it in four different yeah. languages so like yeah, and like and Kung, the actors Kung Fu from, films. Yeah, the actors were all from three different countries too. Yeah, they couldn't even speak. They, nobody yeah. knew what movie they were making until they saw it. <laughs> yeah. they, they saw it in their home country, and they're like, "I'm the bad guy." That's <laughs> I was just talking about my grandma's <laughs> banana pie recipe. What was this? I think Clint Eastwood was the only one that like cared to do his lines. Yeah, and they're like that didn't matter. Like it matters to me. Doesn't matter. Just say something. Sergio, you jerk. I always say this about the subtitles because this was a big late nineties, early two thousands. 
And no, it's still a big it, thing now. It was a big, I know, but this was in this was in this was in Adam's anime club in yeah. high school. Yeah, exactly. It, no, was, actually... it, it was it was him and the really weird teacher that kept calling telling him to come over to watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like you, Josh. I am aware of these things, but I actually don't much care for anime overall in general. I mean, I'll, I've caught enough to know. You know, I've seen the big like Akira and Cowboy Bebop things like that, but beyond. I yeah, I'm not. Stuff. I'm not huge in the anime either. Um, I, I think I it, like to dub it and put the subtitles on. So that you can. <laughs> I, I, not only, not only do I like to to dub it, I redraw it. <laughs> so it's so it's Western animation. So it's Western. <laughs> Little stick men on the edge of a snowball. That's that's like the ultimate sin. I pay Matt, I pay Matt Groening a commission so, to come over and redraw. Basically, that's what the Lion King yeah. was. <laughs> I, I think mm-hmm. with anime, with a lot of stuff that you know, the super fans will never admit to, is like, you know, there's a thing called bad anime. Yeah. And a majority of anime is bad anime. Just like a majority of pretty much any genre is bad. And then you have the gems that kind of stick out. Everything sucks except for the couple of things that don't, period. <laughs> it's a blanket statement. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam. Let's we we've kind of talked about it a few times. So how about how about we go in depth in your first Oh, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting film. I hadn't seen it in many, many years, and I rewatched it in preparation for this. It it didn't... I don't know that I'd recommend it, honestly, if you're just seeing it for the first time. I think it was kind of a creature of its of its time. Yeah. And they re, and, and they remit. And when, I, when I'm talking about it, I'm, only talk, I'm talking about the 96 uh, version of this. I think it came out with like a remake. And Oh, I, I've only seen the Scarlett Johansson uh, live action. <laughs> That, there, that, there's a cartoon yeah i haven't seen the other one so that, that tells you anything <laughs> i know they've done sequels and they've also done uh tv show okay the 96 version you know it's not like i'm i'm always way worse at this than than jason is but you know it's a another uh what we used to call dystopian future now <laughs> it's just a future <laughs> it's cyborgs uh cyberpunk cyberpunk yeah basically there will say that there's a lot I think this is true for a lot of uh, Japan animation that came out around this time is just over sexualization. And it doesn't I mean, really that drive was, the, that was the selling point. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really drive the narrative at all, but it's interesting because um, just wait till we talk about the next film. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah. it, it was the nineties and that was pretty much happening everywhere. Right. It was a it live was action. Yeah. It also has something else which is common, which is a female protagonist who's like the super strong, as, as, uh, as Ebert describes it, super strong center of the story, nevertheless, almost continuously nude. <laughs> it said, he said that, and this is, I'm quoting Ebert now, he says, an article about anime in the recent issue of Film Quarterly suggests that to be a salary man in modern Japan is so exhausting and dehumanizing that many men project both freedom and power onto women and identify with them as fictional characters which I think is an interesting take. Uh, it's just an insight, because you, if you think about it abstractly, a lot of these do have those female protagonists. The thing that always I remembered from when I saw it, and the reason I liked it before, is their approach to talking about what it is to be a human. Yeah, Especially that, in the context that they're swapping out their organs right. and parts for cybernetic. They're more yeah. more machine than human at this, you know, at this point. Obi-Wan Kenobi hates them. <laughs> more machine than man. You know, and that and they're enhanced and all this other stuff. There's a whole bunch about it, like how what it means to be more than is a human just a com- just a collection of memories, right? Are you watching it? The thing that contemporaneously is you, you know, you may have seen that um 
in the news the Google AI researcher claiming that the chatbot is a mm-hmm. human. It was sentient. Was sentient yeah. and, and and self-aware and and they kind of it's 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 wild about how these post uh dystopian films about cybernetics and and cyberpunk, you know, we've been dealing with this question for a long time. When will when will AI be more than just something we created it's its own thing we may be there i don't think we are i don't you know what do i know i'm not i don't work at google you know. they, they can't drive a car yet without wrecking <laughs> so i think we're safe right <laughs> well now. well neither can most humans to be <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's I mean, not that's not a good measure of humanity <laughs> neither can a toddler but you know <laughs> by, by most measures they're still human i think you know <laughs> neither can josh but we we like him as a human so anyway and, no you don't yeah we don't but it it's of all the, you know someone who doesn't quote unquote like anime this one's okay i would say <laughs> <laughs> I think anime a lot of times deals with very Eastern philosophical. Yeah, which I like. Yeah, and that part I like. All right, I, so I think Josh was kind of uh, prompting for his next one. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much about it because I recently most of what I know about it actually, other than watching it, comes from uh, from another podcast for Vintage Video. Like a couple of weeks ago, did this, and I highly recommend this episode because they, uh, they do a really deep dive. But it is heavy metal based on a let's say French uh, comic. Well, heavy metal was the the English equivalent of metal harlant, I believe, is the French title. Yeah. So basically, it's rock and roll and uh, TNA sifted through the mind of a fourteen year old playing Dungeons and Dragons. And if you're a fourteen year old boy, that is the greatest thing you will ever see. And if you you stay up late enough and watch Night Flight, <laughs> or you stay up all night, you can watch the edited version of it, and that'll blow your mind until that magical day when you turn eighteen and are able to rent the real video from Blockbuster. And uh, and see it in all of its uncensored glory. It's growing up today <laughs> compared to, to <laughs> compared to thirty five, yeah. forty years ago. I like guess it's, it's just it's just it's a different world. That's all. <laughs> it's t- tame in comparison. Yes, yeah. right. Heavy metal those is is weaved into my adolescence for those very reasons because of yep. you know it's it's very titillating. And it's by design, you know, yes. so um, it's, it's very frat humor in a lot of places. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's very much the the exploitive well, uh, it, pulp version. Of- and, and there's some there's some there. It was like my first real introduction to to kind of noir as well. Yeah. There's the the I think it's the first story where there's the cabbie and and the, they, they're looking for the Loch Nahr and it's yeah. it's it plays out. It plays out like a futuristic Sam Spade novel complete with like the femme fatale and everything. So that like so some of the stuff in there and then like when the when uh, John Candy as a little kid gets transported to the fantasy world, that's pretty much adolescent fantasy. Well, and it's Conan. Yeah. It's Conan yeah. distilled down to its essence, which Conan is the male power fantasy. Yes. For for good or for ill, that's what it is. And and that segment of heavy metal is 100% feeds into that. And uh, and I won't make any commentary on that, but that's 
That is yeah. what it is. That is what it was meant to be. Well, they, they pulled from a lot of the recurring comic strips and everything in heavy mm-hmm. metal. And then they had this framing device to thread through everything to, to put it together. But it, yeah, you get that mix. <coughs> you have the, the Sam Spade futuristic sci-fi mystery, the Conan, half-naked women and all that kind of stuff. Then you have like the lighter sci-fi bit with the trial and all that kind oh, of yeah, stuff. Oh like, yeah, like the proto, like like the inspiration for Zap Brannigan yeah. is 100 hundred percent that that yeah. character and then like the weaving through thread between it like with, with the Loch Nahr and, and, the, yeah. and the little kid plays like a like an EC comics horror yes. so it's 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 really interesting that it is juvenile and it is full of TNA but there is the animation is fantastic the music is awesome yeah and and there is there is it's not total trash. There is. It's I not think all DNA. Like right. There, there. I think there the is World value. War II to bomber. Like, oh yeah, and yeah, that, like, that 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 plays like that's a, like a yeah yeah straight up like a John Carpenter yeah. film. So there's there's more to it. Like it even that stuff is like on a, on an adult level. It's 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 an interesting yeah. film that like I don't and like many of these other things I don't think the zeitgeist is where that can be replicated. No. Because and, you know, what you get now is Sausage Party. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you look at, you know, Ivan Reitman produced it. Mm-hmm. And then you have all those people he was connected with from Second City and National Lampoon. You know, you've already mentioned John Candy. Who was perfect in that role. Yeah, yeah. Eugene Levy, mm-hmm. uh, Harold Ramis, you know, all these people coming in and doing this voice work. You know, some of it's, like I said, outrageously funny. <coughs> some of it's horrifying. It's just like they just picked some of the the popular stuff out of the, the magazine. It's very, it's very in line with that kind of that rock and roll theme. It's just, yeah. it's just once it starts, it's just drives. It's, it's very stream of consciousness in, in a lot of ways. So it's uh, I don't want to say it's a stoner film because you, you really have you do have to pay attention. Yeah, it is stream of consciousness. What and whatever gets you into that mood <laughs> will enhance the experience. Yeah, I say it, it, it's it's very you know place it's sex, drugs, mm-hmm. and rock and roll. That is that's the film. Yeah, it, it that, that's that's it. That's the premise. It's Tuesday at Josh's house. Tuesday. <laughs> Minus Tuesday. the sex and drugs. <laughs> and or rock and roll. It's, it's Tuesday. Tuesdays is that's light. That's my nap day. <laughs> that's that's light jazz and celery and peanut butter day. It's H. John. <laughs> I want to talk about when we've mentioned it before. The first time I saw it was in USA Night Flights. And that's Fantastic Planet. And last time we, we mentioned it, Josh was saying it was French. I was saying it was uh, Eastern European. We were both right. It's a co-production between <laughs> French companies and Czechoslovakian companies. Like It was animated in Czechoslovakia. By French people. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a rare occurrence where we're yeah. both, both correct. Yes. But this is it's an early 70s film, and this is art. Mm-hmm. Outrageous sci-fi movie. <laughs> where uh, humans have essentially been taken to another planet by these giant aliens, and they're either pets or vermin. And this one that was a pet, like the, the opening scene is essentially like this woman carrying her baby, these giant aliens playing with them like they're ants, and wind up killing the woman so the baby's taken in by this other kid and raised as a pet, and that's that's how it's viewed. He escapes. He has knowledge because he sits, you know, they have the, the sci-fi. This is the teaching tool. It puts it in your brain. So he's smarter. He can read. 
He gets mixed in with the the humans that are living in the wild, helps them survive. And it's the things they put in there, like the world building aspects of it. Like there's a creature, no explained reason why it hides and reaches out and grabs this flying creature, shakes the crap out of it, and then throws it on the ground. Doesn't eat it. Apparently that's its existence. It's just being a dick to other creatures. So it was man. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's this very, very trippy movie. I I think that's a very good descriptive word for it is trippy. I don't think if you're not into, if you're not into experiencing cinema as art, as experimental, I don't think you'd be into it. That's pretty much why this thing exists to be out there. To be experienced, but not necessarily fully understood. That's heavy, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> both of you are jumping in on this. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you're doing an excellent job of, I mean, what else is there to say? Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. Well, I kind of figured that. <laughs> it, it, it's I mean, within I the par- Josh and just make up some. <laughs> within, within the parameters that, that you've set forth, I think that you, you've outlined who should watch this film. Most of the people listening probably have. If you haven't, even if you're outside those parameters, watch it. It's it's expand expand your horizons. Come on, man. There's more than Thor. It ain't just Thor. <laughs> and I th- I think it's actually on uh, HBO Max because HBO has our HBO Max has the deal with the Criterion Collection. And so I think it's on there via the Criterion Collection. All right. So you Excellent. have another one there? No, I mean, uh, we could talk a little bit about... I like Vampire Hunter D. That's probably like my favorite anime. Uh, for the same reasons I like heavy metal. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's very much a teenager anime. <laughs> Look, man, I used to stay up late at night and watch crazy stuff. And that's Vampire Hunter D. What a, It was like he, he was... A vampire hunter. He had a hand that had like a face on it that would yeah. like eat stuff. It like it made uh, no. Okay, it made yeah, I remember no, that. It yeah, made no, remember no that. sense. <laughs> it made zero sense. But like at two o'clock in the morning, you're all hopped up on tang. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was a I, little, I was a lonely you, kid, man. I just sat up watching TV. I remember when I met Josh. He would have I a had beer. a. With these lines of Tang on it. <laughs> snort. Tang bangers, man. <laughs> you and Sean Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I went to space camp. <laughs> they didn't take Tang. That was a lie. They told me that in Huntsville at the space camp. I said, what? That wasn't, they didn't take Tang up there? I said, no, that was what they call marketing. I didn't know that. That's no, actually I, true, man. Tang didn't uh, go into space. So that's a lie. Your whole childhood. I, I will say, you know, for me, there's a direct line from watching Akira to watching Vampire Hunter D. Like, you know, like I said, once once that door was open, like you started getting it. And Vampire Hunter D is very much that I'm a teenager. I'm watching this crazy Japanese. Oh, there's boobies. <laughs> if nothing else here at the brick pit we're honest yeah. like we talked about we talked about how the Corys were cool when we were kids and you know like we own up to that i'll own up to the reason why i watched heavy metal and uh vampire hunter d was was drawn boobies 
mean, at I that point in your life, you took a booby any way you could get it. Right. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Like it's like, <laughs> I, I, like so. How did how did you first encounter uh, these animations? I stayed up late and watched them on TV because I thought there'd be boobies in them. <laughs> <laughs> then, but I inadvertently learned about noir. <laughs> 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 that's that's the, pretty much the, the story real? of my life. <laughs> Friends, we made along the way. <laughs> as, as it turned out, my 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 brain was absorbing like through osmosis. I was learning lessons from the television. I, it was shaping me, molding me. That's my that's my new character. <laughs> it sounds the, a lot like your old character. Yes, the exuberant redneck, which is just me. With a little more rednecky accent, <laughs> saying things that I believe. Listen, Vampire Hunter D very much hit on that exactly with the teenage boy. Oh, it's a cartoon, but it's got boobies and it's got a lot of blood, awesome violence, and everything. And vampires, which were very and, in style at the time. Yes. <laughs> and really Rice had like quite destroyed them now. <laughs> we wore onions on our belt. It's style at the time. Vampires were in style back then. Yeah. Vampires, ninjas. Whatever whatever happened to the ninja menace, by the way? There, <laughs> in the 80s, you would think like at any moment your town could be invaded by straight up ninjas, clans of them. And you yes, need they, some you need some plucky kickboxer to save your town. <laughs> yeah, the they, they took over the bikers from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> They became the bikers in, in Miami Connection. <laughs> Maybe that's what we need to start Adam on. Where did you see Vampire Hunter D? Was it HBO or something? No, man, USA. Oh, really? It yeah, like, okay. like on it was either Night Flight or Night Flight. Like for for a kid in rural Mississippi, Night Flight was like a peephole into the world at large. It like it would show you wonders that you like because like one night they would have a Neil Young concert from Germany, and then the next night they would have Fantastic Planet or the they'd have like the Fish Heads song or so what it was just like it was this hodgepodge yeah. of like pop culture like just distilled into your to your little tiny mind one of my favorite things they did is they had taken old public domain serials and chopped them up and overdubbed them Mm -hmm. into a new story the the closest thing to that experience now is uh, i think it's the website everything is awful and they stitch together just like old random clips into like kind of a stream of consciousness. Some of them have a theme. Some of them don't. It's really interesting art project. Yeah. It's, it's takes really awful things. and just, you can pelt your brain with it all day. If you want, it's great. <laughs> so I think night flights even showed like the, the Frankie goes to Hollywood music video that MTV wouldn't show mm-hmm. or relax. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, night flight, like I can't, I know we were talking about animation, but here we are. Like that was man. That well, was animation like, was a big part of it. Yeah, that that was a that was a crowbar that opened up the world to a lot of people and, and to to avant garde stuff. I think it was also the first place I saw the uh, Thank You Mask Man, which somebody had taken a Lenny Bruce routine off the album and animated about the Lone Ranger and like this town keeps wanting to thank him, and they finally thank him, then find out he's a sexual pervert. <laughs> First place I saw uh, Godzilla versus Bambi. Yes, <laughs> fantastic short film. And yeah, it we'll, ends we'll as expected. Links. Yeah, we'll put links to this stuff because I think a lot of these shorts uh, are up on YouTube and they are. <laughs> 
I, must, See, I missed this whole thing because yeah. it, either we didn't have USA when this was on, or I, you know, I wasn't the right age. I, at one it point, was there was a night. yeah, there was there was a night flight like website, but you, you could pay and basically watch archive night flight. Yeah, I don't care that much. Like I was all for like, two dollars. <laughs> I could buy some uh, some loose cigarettes for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam, in your best Archer voice, tell everybody <laughs> how they can get in touch with us. Um, this is my best Archer voice. <laughs> I've been doing that the whole time. Is it for, not obvious? For two, for two years. <laughs> this is what you get for $2. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, if you have something to say to us, we would love to hear it. The best way to do that is anchor.fm forward slash bricked pit, where you can leave us a voicemail, which we will play on the air. As you can tell, every episode we play your voicemails on the air. You, As you've heard already in this episode, we've had three or four. No, we don't because you guys aren't calling in. Please call in and leave us voicemail so we can do that. That's, always- that's definitely on brand for us. Just to the into doing if, what we want them to do. If we, have, if we haven't insulted your particular brand of nerd, give us a call. We'll be sure to add it the next time. We'll talk about trekkers and trek-ins, brown coats, any kind of nerd. You like chess? <laughs> Chess sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Queen's Gambit is the worst movie ever made. <laughs> Many series ever made. Uh, if you want to uh, hit us up on our social media, it's going to be Facebook and Twitter for us. You can find us at the Brick Pit Podcast. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can reach us at brickpit at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.